This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, this is Lou Roberts. This is Tyrese Campbell. And you're listening to the Every Step Along The Way podcast. Hello all and welcome back to your latest episode of Every Step Along The Way. You, My voice, I'm sorry if it's a little bit different today, it is still trying to recover. For countless times I had to try and correct the referee on his decisions last night. Uh, but yes, joining me tonight we have our ever-present Michael Stockley and also Laurie. So Laurie, are you back on the pod mate, are you okay? Yeah, very well thank you. Uh, cheers for having me back on. It's been about a year since I was with, since I was last on with you, Dan, uh, I think I think Michael was out sunning it up in uh, uh, the. I think it was Sin City. You were up in Las Vegas, Michael. So um, God, that long ago, really, Jesus! It was <laughs> yeah, longer than that, so, then, mate. Because I think it's been at least fourteen, fifteen months, at least. Yeah, and um, yeah, so good to be back on and. Um, do you want to remind everybody um, what you do for, obviously, with the uh, the Southern Supporters Club, Larry? Yeah, yeah. So um, mostly uh, social media. Uh, we also have a WhatsApp group. Um, the Stoke Southern Supporters Group is um, is ever building on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and as I mentioned, WhatsApp. Um, and just lots of opportunities for fans to talk about the team, the trials and tribulations, and uh, yeah, kind of share the miseries and and share the uh, share the um, you know occasional happy times as well. That is Stoke City Football Club. So um, yeah, always to have happy to have people on, and uh, the more the merrier. Oh, fantastic! Uh, and Mike, yes, I did. Uh, I did mention you before. How are you, mate? Uh, yeah, good, mate. I, I must. I'm very tired. So if I'm not my big bubbly self, everyone, then I apologise. But um, been a good twelve, thirteen hour day for me, if I'm honest with you. So very busy. Uh, I haven't lost my voice like you, although we were shouting quite a lot yesterday. Um, yeah, referee was a bit of a joke, wasn't he? Uh, but not for the first, and certainly won't be the last time this season, no doubt. But uh, yeah, it was it was a real shame yesterday, actually, because I think I'm not not sure about you boys, but I just thought that 
we actually did not play badly at all. We certainly, for, for me, didn't deserve to lose. Uh, I thought Southampton were exactly what I expected from Southampton, although they seem to have maybe sorted themselves out at the back a little bit more than, than previous games, which sods law into that they sorted out their defence just as we're about to play them. But, um, yeah, dodgy referees certainly helped. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I mean, interestingly, I was looking at um, their last five fixtures. Uh, one win, four losses. They beat. Uh, they won on the weekend. Um, similar to us, where we won on the weekend, we had one draw and three losses in our last five games. So it was actually, it was actually setting itself up for for a very very good game. I thought sometimes we cancelled one another out. Um, considering the chances, there wasn't a lot in the game. I thought it was a great strike for a goal, uh, for the goal, the free kick. Although I thought it was a bit of a cheap free kick to give away. But um, he's definitely been watching Ward-Prowse in practice, hasn't he? It's, uh, it's funny you should mention Ward-Prowse. Because I was just um, talking to you guys before we started recording it about a friend of mine who sort of does a bit of stewarding in the away end and he was saying that he was obviously stood next to some Southampton fans and uh, as the free kick was given he sort of turned to one of them and said I said oh you haven't got James Ward Prowse so have you and apparently they just said we don't need him well, and then obviously like obviously the, the free kick was going to he was like oh no they don't <laughs> they got Steve Stewart Armstrong instead um, yeah but sort of rewinding a little bit to the beginning, uh, obviously the team came out, and I think you know, I don't know about you, Larry, but I know me and Mike sort of looked at the team, looked at each other, and sort of nodded our heads. We were like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he was sort of pretty much forced into the back four as it was, uh, but Junior in, McNally in, low started up front. I was, yeah, you know, I thought I was quite happy with that. Yeah, definitely. I think Low deserved a crack of the whip after coming on and scoring the winner. Um, a fantastic, well, you'd say, a fantastic start to his um, first team Stoke career. I think he did come on um, in the previous game, but uh, or should I say the cup? But I mean to to come on and get the winner that was that was brilliant. But yeah, good choice to put him up front. I think um, we looked a lot more comfortable with a back four. I'm not sure about you two, but I. I always have my doubts with a back three and and two wing backs possibly in any team, uh, unless of course you've you've got the money of Man City. It, it just gives you a bit more insurance having the back four. I was really happy with Junior. I thought he was fantastic yesterday, um, and uh, McNally was was very good. Seemed seemed like his old self. Um, I think he's a bit more used to a back four. Um, when he was at Coventry, so I think that suits him better. Uh, the midfield to me looked either a box or almost like a a two, a two, and then a two up front, possibly Leris, uh slightly withdrawn from from low, but yeah, happy. I agree with you about McNally. Uh, I thought, you know, as I think Maven said to you down at the time, I think you look far more in control than, than Rose did, if I'm honest. He didn't really do anything wrong. There was a few last-ditch kind of tackles he got involved in, some good, like, you know, harrying out of play. I, I don't think he did 
anything wrong actually uh, the, the other night. And uh, I mean, even if I, I wonder if Rose had been fit, whether he would have started above McNally. Um, I don't quite see know what I can't really see what Alex would have seen in in Rose the starting of McNally. To be honest, I think Rose has made multiple mistakes. Um, but McNally, I thought was good. It's a shame about when Ben Wilmot. Hopefully that injury isn't too serious. Um, I think Dan, you did you say that um, Ben Wilmot had collided with the post? Is that is that what happened? Um, yeah, I haven't seen it back. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it seems that he, he sort of yeah, slid in and uh, let's say collided with the post. I know he did leave on on uh, crutches as well, didn't he, after the game? But at least he sort of left and went home, you know what I mean? I imagine that no matter what, he probably would have been given a set of crutches anyway, wouldn't he, to, um, you know, sort of general precaution and to just keep any weight bearing off it until they can see how it, how it uh, looks in the morning. Of all defenders, though, of all defenders to lose, you don't want to lose Ben Wilmot, the one actual, you know, experienced concrete centre back that we've actually got when you're trying to test out whether McNally's better or Rose better or whoever, the last thing you want to do is leave, you know, lose that one sure thing at the back. That's the problem for me. And I, I mean, Christ, we'll talk about Leicester in a bit, but um, it's quite concerning for this weekend. And it does make you wonder whether we're going to, you know, step up the, you know, the, the demands maybe for Kieran Clark, is it? Because I think the rumour was that he wanted some, um, some decent wages. So maybe we're in a scenario now where we're probably going to have very little choice other than to pay somebody maybe a bit more than we wanted to. Yeah, no, that was a that's a really good point. I think defensively, I've got I've got us down for two fit defenders in terms of uh, central position on uh, for Leicester. But yeah, it seems to me as if uh, the position is Wilmot's going to start. He's he's going to be the person that goes in there, whether it's a three or or a four. But who does he play with? Does he play with Rose? I think Rose was brought in initially to be our aggressive leader, possibly more of a blood and guts defender. He can pass the ball, but I think he's a little bit more robust of a defender uh, than perhaps McNally. But it seems to me as if, um, I mean, if I was really pushed for a choice of, of two centre-halves, I'd be going for McNally and, and Wilmot. Uh, Rose, for me, he hasn't done enough yet. To, to convince me of a start. What did you take to um, Junior the other night? I thought, considering he played in a couple of different formations, and, I mean, me and Dan were speaking to each other and said, I can't believe this guy's 19. Like, he looks to be beyond his years, and he didn't, again, he's a young lad, but he, he didn't look out of place. He looked a really solid option. Yeah, assured. Like, I, I just think... He seems to be quite a confident character. It was really nice to see his passion after the game, after the win on Saturday as well. It, like fists clenched, really getting up to the to the fans and and riling them all up. It, it, it's amazing. Shows his personality, but um, certainly on the playing side, looks comfortable uh, on his left foot or his right, and plays beyond his years for sure, as you've said. But I like his physicality. Uh, he's somebody who's not going to get pushed off the ball um, speedy as well and um, gets up the park. But yeah, a, a defender's defender, if if you like, where I think he just really enjoys 
uh, 1v1s, tackling the defensive side of the game, which is brilliant. Yeah, he, he really, really impressed me. Like I say, he played like left side, right side. And I think I said, sort of said to you, Dintamai, that if he gets a run of games at right back, then, you know, uh, Henry might uh, struggle to get his place back in that side. I think so. I, mean, I think we're going to have no choice at the, the weekend. I mean... Do we know what the severity or what Henry's actually sort of injury is? Um, I... You know, I, I really don't know. We, we never find out with with this club, do we? That's the problem no, these days. Is, because I'll be honest, I didn't even I didn't I didn't even take it as an injury when he came off. I just thought it was sort of a cheat. Yeah, well, right. We need to. Um, yeah, we were one 0 down. We got was it fifteen minutes ago. I'm just going to chuck an extra attacker on because we're going forward. I didn't didn't even like cross my mind that he was sort of injured. I must have missed any sort of you know he's pulled up or anything. I don't um, think there's anything great. serious, Dan. Um, I, I think it's probably more of a precaution. He probably thinks, well, obviously, you know, Henry's been out with obviously a bit of a niggled into the, the other week. Mm. He's seen that he's really on the bare bones of, you know, in, in defence. He probably needs to guarantee that he's actually got a defender to put out at the weekend. So yeah, it might just be more of a precautionary thing. Yeah, because I think there's the sort of talk that Rose will be back for Saturday. But obviously, you know, like you say, we don't know, so we have to sort of, as, as supporters doing sitting here trying to do a podcast, we maybe have to plan plan two teams. Or this is what's going to happen if he's not fit. But I think, you know, whether you rate him or not, at this point, I think Rose is, if he is fit, will uh, definitely be playing, won't he? <laughs> I think that's the two. I, I I get the feeling he'll stick with a four. Um, even if he can muster four defenders, of course, but um, four, I feel, suits us. I think he's experienced in his previous teams with with Sunderland and Norwich as well that a four is certainly, uh, or I feel, works for him better in his approach. So, yeah, I think I think we'll see Rose and McNally. I can't see Wilmot being fit. Um, I. I'd like to see, I'd like to see Junior on the right though. I think he looked a little bit more assured on the right than the left. I mean, he was fantastic. He was my man of the match, but uh, possibly with with Pearson as well. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I'd like to see him on uh, on the right, preferably uh, when we get more fit players back. Stevens, I do like though. I think he's been good uh, when he's back. Yeah, I think. Um... Junior on the right, at least in the short term, is just just dependent on bodies and seeing who's available. Um, if you have you got anything you'd like to say, Mike? I was going to say like Nathan Lowe. I know we very briefly mentioned him at, at the beginning, but um, I again, I, I think it was a massive call to start him. I know that an element of that may be about giving Wesley a little bit of a break and and, and bits like that, but I thought that was such a big call from from Alex not not because it was you know he wasn't ready for it or or anything like that but you know you can just you can just imagine him sitting in that changing room absolutely buzzing but bricking it um and you know a chance for him to really you know not the last thing he wanted was to go in there and at the end of the game Everyone, including Alex and everyone else, to go. Wow, he was really out of his depth there, wasn't he? You know, he he's way away. Because if I think that had been the case, and he would have had an absolute dreadful game, 
it's the type of scenario where you can sometimes you've seen it in the past young players just all of a sudden start fading away you know it knocks the confidence the manager's confidence in them and stuff like that I just think he really held his own he should have obviously had a penalty ridiculous refereeing decision yet again um but he he had that one chance, didn't he, in the first half? Um, Haksbanovic, lovely little flick over the top. And it only, I can only assume that he wasn't expecting it. Um, and, I mean, for a flick like that, you probably don't expect it. But it just, it just probably a, a fraction of a second too quick because I would have loved to actually see him get that ball down and, and have a go. Because the one thing about last night is much of all the... The huffing and puffing and everything that he did, he really didn't have much of an opportunity to even have a proper shot on target. So he's done himself absolutely no no um, disservice at all for me. I think he, he could very well be up front on his own uh, again at the, at the weekend. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, I would probably say as well it sets a precedent amongst all of the squad it, that... Anyone, if if they are showing the right determination and the right attitude, is is viable for a place in the starting lineup. That I think it was a good move in terms of a squad situation. There, everyone can be picked and anyone can be dropped as well. I do, I do like Wesley. I think he holds up the ball for us. I think it it would be nice. Um, if somewhere down the line Neil gives him a run of games, and I think it will pay dividend, uh, he brings players into the game well. Um, but in terms of giving low, as you said, that kind of um, adrenaline rush and, and the moment, and let's face it, he, he was playing playing against a relegated team from the Premier League, so Neil didn't need to do it. He wasn't he wasn't doing it as a as a favour to him. Um, it was it was all credit to him. He was he was there on merit. Yeah, I think his bot is sort of he was he was a very good play outside of the box, wasn't it? In like like sort of Marcus hinted to, he's just inside the box. He never really got the opportunity, but you know that that you know maybe come from delivery and stuff. I know he got the one header on target, didn't he? Which was a bit I think he was a bit behind him, and he had to sort of try and turn. Sort of headed it down, which is always a good a good trait to get in a striker as well. You know, you're going to get more sort of you know headers on target doing that. Uh, but he was sort of you know comfortable for the goalkeeper. Um, yeah, and then like I say going going forward, actually like his hold up play should I say uh, was really good. I thought he he um he, the ball stuck to him. He let let us get out, let us get up the field. Uh, he laid it off into others at, at good times. So yeah, I was I was. I was really impressed with him and to consider he's only just turned 18 last week. And the boy's got a very bright future. Um, yeah, and hopefully, like I say, we just got to nurture it, take our time. He, he's not going to be, you know, he's not going to be involved every week, is he? Uh, but if we can get to the end of the season and he's got, you know, he's got, yeah, eight, eight to 10 starts, you know, 15, 20 sub appearances and, five or six goals then I think that's a good platform for him to build going forward then isn't it yeah just imagine if you were Emre uh, Tezgale watching that thinking sliding doors moments he comes on and and scores the winner against Bristol on Saturday and you could argue that could have been Tezgale and 
him being on the treatment table at the moment. Um, if if it had been a, a different opportunity, perhaps perhaps it would have been him. But I mean, you'd you'd be very happy for for somebody that you've been in the under twenty threes, under twenty ones with. But at the same time, you'd be kicking yourself. Oh, of course you would, mate. Yeah, hundred percent. And he's back in training. I think they're probably just building him up and and stuff anyway. Um, so you know, hopefully he won't be too far away. I mean, the fact that we actually actually have two goalkeepers on the bench is a first. I don't remember when I've ever seen two goalkeepers on the bench. Uh, and Dan made a funny comment about you know Demarcio Wright Phillips and and everybody else. It's a very clear comment that they are absolutely nowhere near even the bench. Because if you can't make the bench, you've got to put two goalkeepers on. Says a lot. And and actually as well, what a big message uh, you know, Nathan Lowe sends to Dwight Gale. I think Dwight knows exactly where he is in the pecking order now. He's now behind an 18-year-old. So, time's up. I think I think in, in about three or four weeks' time, because Emery Tesco, you know, he's back in, he's back training in T. I think he's always said he's sort of, you know, he's with the under-18s at the minute, just sort of working his, his fitness and everything back up. Um, and I think when he gets back into the first team at, at that level, then I think Dwight Gale will find himself behind two 18-year-olds in the packing order. Yeah, I'd mirror that. I think fourth choice, number nine for me at the moment, uh, Gale, definitely. You know, one thing, actually, from the opposition standpoint the other night, um, I, d- I think Lord Voldemort didn't really have much of a an impact on the game, did he? And if you do, if you wonder, Voldemort is obviously Will Smallbone. If you're slightly unsure, uh, I I didn't think he was really did too much at all. Um, Howard Ballis, who we mentioned on the, on the previous pod, didn't think he had anything really of of much note. Um, I just until I don't know. the final whistle. <laughs> well, until the final whistle. Yeah, and you know what's <laughs> going to happen. We're gonna we're gonna find fines on both sides, but we'll we'll be in trouble for that. Uh, you know, on on national TV as well. Like it's not just oh this happened at the game. It gets reported in the Sentinel, and not really much else is made of it. It's on Sky Sports, so we'll be seeing a fine for both clubs. And who knows when they look back at the footage if there's been any arms flying and stuff like that. We might even find suspensions. Yeah, I mean, you said to me, didn't you? Well, why are they booing Smallbone? Like, what was he done to be booed? I was like, well, because it's fun. <laughs> That's, that's, that's just what we need. It's, it's fun, isn't it, Laurie? Just to, just to heckle that's, that's just a heckle the players. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I think it was it was good um, in that respect last night, and the, the atmosphere definitely seemed to be there. There was definitely more of a connection than I felt for a long time. Uh, whether the, the victory at the weekend has, has helped that, as sort of, you know, the, the teams, you know, the fans can see that the players are sort of fighting now. Um, Sort of not giving up, and they're going to willing to stick with them. Um, whether it's reduced numbers, whether you're getting down to sort of die-hard fan base again. Do you know what I mean? You're down to a number that you should be all die-hard fans that are turning up. I don't know, um, but yeah, they definitely seem to. Yeah, you know, the fans really stuck um, with them. I'm sure there's plenty more like me because there was, you know, there was loads of singing, loads of encouragement. And the players' effort levels sort of mirrored it, didn't they? I thought, I thought the, the effort, the effort there from the players last night was fantastic. Um, they carried on going; they never gave up. You know, they got frustrated as we all did with you know, at times of decisions and that, and but especially during the second half. 
But like I said, they carried on going, they depressing, and although there wasn't you know a gluttony of chances created, they were always looking to do something, looking to be positive. Um, and I think, like I say, the fans, the fans reacted to that. And I think th- at the end as well, you know, the way many people going before the final whistle, and I think there was plenty who stayed and you know applauded them at the end, and you know a good few minutes after the final whistle as well, they were still applauding the players, you know, till they went in, and it's it's definitely seems to be on the mend that relationship does. Um, I think it's on the mend hundred hundred percent, Dan. Um, I mean. You're right. I came out of the stadium, and obviously, you know, you when you know when you're walking down over the bridge, um, and obviously you hear people talking, and the amount of people that I heard just say, "Oh, you know, that wasn't too bad. We were unlucky there." Uh, you know, they've really tried. You know, the, the various different comments you hear people make. You know, there was there was I think there was one person that I heard who called it, you know, crap and weren't very good, and uh, some other people, you know, players were called out. I mean. Josh Loren again was called out. Someone was saying Ben Pearson played badly. I, you know, Luke, we we gave Josh a lot of stick. I don't think he did anything particularly wrong in, in this match. Um, ben Pearson certainly didn't. Again, he was he was all over the place. I don't think really it's fair to call any of them out as playing poorly for me. I just think it was a really good spirited effort. We got done over by a referee, lost complete control of the game from the first minute to the last. It was, I don't know what was going on, and I know we've as, as a as a league. I believe we've voted against the VAR light. I think that's a bit of a mistake, if I'm honest. Why not? Why not install VAR light and have I don't know two calls a game, you know? And if you use your two calls, then it's up. You know, make something like that so it's not so ridiculous. And only goal scoring positions, maybe not every single offside. There's got to be a solution for it. But when you look at the foul on Nathan Lowe, as clear as day, it those are the moments again they can cost you goals, cost you games, cost you points, cost you league position. I just think it's very short sighted to vote against it personally. If it's a cost thing, because you can imagine it's, it might be something to do with the cost of implementing it, I believe it's quite could be quite expensive. Then it's not; it's dead cheap. Uh, in the grand scheme of it, it's cheap. The reason they turned it down in the public domain, the reason they turned it down was because they weren't happy with how it's been implemented in the Premier League. So they decided that it actually isn't suitable for for our division. Do you think also like the the fixture and the decisions and the debacle that's happened between the Liverpool and Spurs matches kind of heightened that. That won't happen again. I can guarantee you that 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 incident there that's happened at Liverpool Tottenham. You know, Howard Webb's in charge of the VAR and and he will I can guarantee you now he will make sure that that doesn't happen again. There'll be still can be there'll be like a checklist for them. Because obviously the issue that they've had is that whether he wasn't paying attention or they've not sort of taken the required time. And it all comes from from pressure that's been put on them, and they? They've had the pressure of of um you know having to you know desperate, come on, we need this to be quicker. Oh, it takes too long. Oh, it's... And then you've got to the point there where it through I feel rushing, listening to that audio, through rushing it through and not taking the required steps to just double check stuff. Um, they've they've made this mistake. I don't. I'd rather them take an extra thirty seconds to just run through. Right, okay, let's just double check in. The original decision was this, or we believe it's to be this. So this is the final result. I'd rather them do that extra few seconds to do that at the end of every VAR call 
then then get one wrong that that rules out a goal. <laughs> but hey ho. Um, you know, you know though that Liverpool will be using that as the the kind of stick to hit teams with uh, and uh, to to hit the FA with and and all the other governing bodies. Those were possibly the three points that could have cost us. I don't know Europe, Europa League yeah. place, top four. Um, whichever argument you want to play with it, um, they will use it. And fans, uh, the game is it is such thin lines these days. The the difference between a win loss or a draw, and they will use anything, uh, any type of ammunition to. <laughs> To, to gain a pull. Oh, it's funny, Anthony, because obviously Jurgen Klopp was sort of getting praised once for his reaction post-match and, and everything and sort of been a bit of humility that they were showing and, you know, not going mad about it. And then obviously they realised that's not the Liverpool way. They like a good moan over at Anfield, don't they? Ever, you know, like to complain about everything. So uh, he's come out today demanding the match get replayed. <laughs> And that's that's enough talk about Liverpool anyway. We don't we don't this is not a Liverpool podcast. We we don't care about them down until no. we start beating them six one again, do we? We <laughs> um what we anybody uh, mentioned Gerard's last game. <laughs> <laughs> um right, so what we obviously on on the thing of that penalty that you've just been talking about, on the uh, mention of that I think Owen Farrell would have been proud of that tackle. I mean, he loves a good high tackle in rugby, doesn't he? So, yeah, I think he would have probably been classed as high there. And, uh, yeah, he, he he sort of just wrapped his arms around him re- and just wrestled into the ground. How? And the ref there, it's not as if he hasn't seen it. He's actually signalled, you know, put, you know, his arms out, and he crossed his arm. No, nope, nothing there. Nothing wrong with that. I'm like, what? How? How has he not seen that as a foul? Especially, I mean, that's the thing, yeah. it's consistency. How is he not seeing that as a foul when the minimal con for the free kick that was that they scored from, he, he, he obviously pulled that back. And I mean, at the point, I'll be honest, when he pulled that back for the free kick, there wasn't there wasn't a single player who'd appealed for it. Um, I think the, uh, the if I remember right, the Southampton player who still had the ball, he sort of run on, you know, about six, seven yards, and he sort of pirouetted on the ball, looked to the ref as if saying, what have you stopped the game for? What's going on? <laughs> Madness, I, I turned to you as well, Mark. I turned to you and said, like, we, you know what happens here. And go, you know, you know, what, you know what's coming, don't you? And this is like, ping, top corner. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, you did. I'll vouch for you on that one. You called it straight away. <laughs> you can't fault the quality, can you? It was an absolutely quality strike. Which, in fairness, you would normally say deserves to win any game. Although when it's against you, it doesn't really feel that way. Um, it, was, it was a quality goal. You've got to give him that. He's still got to put it away. But I, I, I mean, I haven't actually seen the replay yet. I've not seen the the highlights. I'm not sure whether it's highlighted the, you know, the pull on the shorts or whatever it was. But the, the the player didn't even appeal for it. I think that's what got everyone's backs up. And if it, if we have pulled him back very clearly, and it should have been a free kick then it's stupid defending, really, because there was players all around him. He wasn't going to go anywhere, I don't think. But I guess when you're in the heat of the moment, you don't really think rationally. It's about, he's going on goal, I need to try and stop him. Um, but still, we, still frustrating. Uh, again, 
there was decision after decision. I'm not going to keep banging on about a referee. We we didn't lose just because of a referee. But when Dan talks about you know previous referees records and yellows and all that business, um, there's certain games like that where it seems to really make a difference. But oh well, let's take a deep breath and move on, shall we? <laughs> I think one, one last thing I will say. One last thing I will say on the referee. Um, just to highlight is 17 fouls he gave against Stoke and he gave against Southampton two. So mm. I don't think there's, I can't think of another club. It wasn't as if Southampton had a load of the ball. The possession stats, I think with 56% to 44. So it wasn't as if Southampton have had like 70 odd, 80% possession and, you know, they've never, we haven't had the ball for them to foul us. Is that I find that quite concerning, such a gap in, in you know, it wasn't as if they were, put, we were putting tackles in. And, and I, I'll be honest, and you said there for minute one earlier on, Mark, I don't think he did. I think for the first 40 minutes, until that free kick was awarded, I think he was quite anonymous, which is what you want in a referee. You want them to be, you know, not noticeable. They just, the game flows and it's, you know, they're just there. You know, you can't even notice it there. And if that's what he was, then he gives that free kick and the crowd got on his back. You know, we've sort of spoke to people before, haven't we? And they said that the way that they are sort of um, assessed now, a lot of the assessments and the positive marks they had assessed is not buckling under pressure from fans. And it seems to be the more that we got on that ref's back, the more every decision went Southampton's way as if he was proving a point to whoever was assessing him in the stands that the fans are not dictating to me how I do this game. and But all he did do was he was giving the slightest, tiniest contact with a free kick to them and they were literally going through. I mean, Berger had one left late on him that he just waved away. There was the foul on low and there was every other, like say, contact things that I don't think we're maybe we're fouls, but when you look at what he was giving those, you know, giving Southampton as fouls, it, then you were thinking, well, hang on, if that is a foul, then so is that. You can't do it one way and not the other. It's, it's consistent. You've got to be consistent with your decision-making. And I don't mind if, if you're a linear referee, if you're a strict referee, whatever, but if you, as long as you're consistent with both sides, no one's going to complain. That's a really good point. I think... It's definitely the word, that's the key word, consistency. So if you're crap for both teams, fans will say, well, he's a crap referee, but at least he's crap for both teams. You know, it's kind of, that kind of levels things out. My my issue was, um, and we had a discussion on our, uh, on the Facebook group was, um, would, would the, so the penalty that definitely should have been with the elbow on low or, which, or the rugby tackle, whatever you want to call it, um, I mean, most most football fans, and I included uh, a message from a Southampton fan telling me that was an absolute stonewaller. I quote, <laughs> um, and it, it was it, it was madness. And the discussion on the Facebook group was, well, that would have been a free kick. Uh, had it been outside the box, that is a free kick. So why are we? Why is there no differentiation? Um, between, you know, a foul outside of the box is is surely a foul inside the box. Um, It then got a little bit deeper and we started discussing penalties and everyone got a bit jittery because about a year ago we were 
we were something like the worst penalty taking team in 30 leagues in Europe, which, yeah, everyone was panicking about. I'm not quite sure who would take our penalty, possibly, I don't know, for argument's sake, let's say Johnson. But um, I think a lot of Stoke fans would be worried about us converting the penalty even if it was given to us. So I suppose that's the that's the counter-argument. It'd be nice just to have the opportunity to score one, though. <laughs> well, Alex Neil made the point, didn't he, after? I know we don't want to keep going on about referees, but uh, he made the, he said the point after, didn't he, that um, obviously, you know, they're, they're obviously when they're making decisions, they're sending, they're sending out apologies now to clubs, aren't they? Um, just, you know, just to, I suppose, try and keep them on side a bit. Uh, but he says that obviously this is the tenth league game we've had, and this now will be the sixth apology that we've got for a penalty we should have had and been given. Which, if we'd had four or five given as well, you would you would accept. But when we haven't had a single penalty awarded to us yet, post match we're being told the referees are saying, "Oh yeah, actually, we should have given them six penalties by now, but we've actually given them none." You start to wonder what's really going on, don't you? I mean, I'm not, I'm not. But don't worry, I'm not saying there's a conspiracy or anything like that because I, I just I, I'm not saying that. But is it is there some sort of that they're not giving these? Is there some second, like say with supporters, or I don't be giving this because you know, like I say last night, the fans are on my back, so I'm not giving that. Is there something going on like that that we're just not the reason why we're not getting these spot kicks? Mm. It's a it's a good point. Um, I mean, are you two believers that as the season goes on, everything kind of balances itself out, or are you completely anti no. that thought? No, no, I, I'm I'm personally not. I think there there's always going to be occasions where you you know you pinch one, you, you lose one, etc. I'm not sure it does balance just itself to, out. To be honest, mate. Just just to let you know that theory, I am not with. <laughs> I'm not. I am not following that theory. That is just, you know, a theory of the pundits discuss it um, over the course of a season. Um, with what we've been having recently, particularly the start of this season, I'm I'm on your side of the fence for sure. You you've got to like look at this, Alex Neil. You know, if we hadn't got a win at Bristol City, we'd now be under quite severe pressure, wouldn't we? Especially going to Leicester and then a two week break. And you think all those penalties that, that we should have had in these opening fixtures, these results could quite potentially have been very, very different. Because, you know, you know, whenever these, whenever they were, maybe even games we've lost, we, if the penalty was when the game was nil-nil and we go one and we score it and go one-nil up, completely different game. Maybe we would go on to win that game. And, you know, like I say, he, he could have, essentially, it could have cost him his job through poor officiating, consistently poor officiating. I know there was mention about two penalties that we should have had last night. I, I haven't seen what, what the reference to the other one was. Maybe that's the decision that people are on about. Uh, I mean, me and Dan would have been at the wrong end of the picture, if I'm honest with you, for that. Uh, so I, I couldn't, I don't remember it, but I probably would find it hard to comment as well, um, if I'm honest with you. But... Um, I mean, what I wanted to ask you boys, actually, just to kind of, I suppose, start to kind of wrap this little section up a little bit, if you don't mind, Dan. Um, kind of man of the match wise, I mentioned earlier that no one really, for me, struggled. I don't think there's any bad performances. Um, I mean, who before we go into the kind of what people think, what what were your guys' opinions on man of the match? 
quite a difficult one to call, I think. I, I've got my own opinion, but what, what are your boys' thoughts? I um, I like Junior as a junior. I thought he played really well. Um, I think Pearson got about quite well. Haksabanovic was, he was always looking to create. Um, so, yeah, Lloris, I thought Lloris, you, you couldn't really pick many out that didn't play well. Um, no. But I, no, I, 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 I thought Lloris was thought, solid again. Although they didn't play, come on for too long, um, I thought Berger was quite solid and you know helped to keep the ball moving and, and creating when we when he came on. And I thought Bay looked really good as well. I thought he um, possibly yeah. his sort of best performance since that sort of initial cameo and in, in his debut. Yeah, because it was one of them things where I was struggling to see where where Juno was kind of gain in really I mean and again it's hard when you've got cameo appearances to know you know you've got to make an instance I think the eyes are on you aren't they but you know when you start a game yeah the the eyes are on you for you know five ten minutes everyone settles down and then you kind of it's easier just to coast through games when you come on as a sub you've got to you know everyone's expectations are high but I agree with you I thought he looked ten times better uh, again pace putting himself around nice touches nice bits of passing um, he's got such lovely footwork, hasn't he? Oh yes, yeah, he's yeah, he's agile quality, agile, yeah, hundred percent. So I thought you're right. I think he he did well. I mean, for me, it's so difficult. I think I think Junior just gets it for me. There's 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 very little in it. Um, again, McNally wouldn't have been too far behind. I just didn't think he he put a foot wrong, to be honest. But I'm going to go for Junior. Yeah, I think it's a toss-up between Junior and McNally for me. Uh, Junior's come in in a game and a half and been absolutely fantastic. Um, a revelation for him. Uh, what a start for Stoke. But um, yeah, McNally, he, I think he really needed a good game. He came on um, good reputation, um, made the playoff finals. And I think we've been waiting for a performance from him like that. And and that's very much cemented his place for me. Um, obviously, he's got to keep up that consistency, but really liked him. Uh, from a defensive point of view, I'd, uh, I'm quite boring in terms of uh, the way that I watch the game. I'm more focusing on, on good defending, but that's perhaps uh, a little bit more my background. But uh, certainly those two for me, um, yeah, they, they could make real waves in our team. Well, would you like the official results? Well, as it stands, I think I, I don't think it's going to change. Junior Chamadu, seventy-six percent of the vote, man of the match. <laughs> uh, Luke McNally, thirteen percent second, and third place Haksabanovic with five percent. So yes, I, th- I don't think uh, in the best world in the world that anyone's going to be catching Junior up. I think that's a, a day, a full debut, and a uh, first man of the match for him. But yeah, well deserved. I think pretty much all three of us have just agreed with that decision as well, haven't we? Yeah, great performance. Solid. So we're going to check in with our Southampton friends now and get their thoughts on uh, on the match from Tuesday night. And then we'll head into the news. Hi, this is Glenn from Total Saints Podcast uh, with my views of the uh, game at uh, the Bet365 Stadium last night. Um, 
expected Saints to start the game better than they did after the um, after the Leeds win, and um, was pleased to survive the opening uh, pressure with the balls being loaded on top of the goalkeeper from the corners and stuff like that. Um, it's a pretty average first half, I thought, with the only real excitement from our point of view being every time Suleimana got the ball on the left wing and um, burning past Hoover at right back, who seemed to have one tactic, which was just to pull him back every time. Um, I was screaming at the referee in the first half because I thought he was absolutely shocking because he pulled him back about five times and uh, eventually got booked on the fifth one. Um so, uh, yeah, so I, I was wondering about the referee um, from the way he dealt with that situation. Um, first instant, I guess you want to talk about, is the uh, free kick that was awarded for the what eventually became the goal. Um, pretty sure you've all seen it by now, and maybe even Alex Neal's seen it by now. Um, the, the Stoke player had hold of his shirt and shorts for about 10, 15 yards before the free kick was given. Um, it's a free kick in any league, Championship, Premier League, whatever. Um, so I don't think there can be any real complaints about that. Uh, from our point of view, uh, of course, it was a lovely free kick. Uh, it was nice to find a player who could take over from James Ward-Prowse. We always suspected that uh, Stuart Armstrong had it in the locker, but he's never had the opportunity to prove it until now. So I guess um, I guess you can count yourselves a bit unlucky on that one. Um, half-time, thought we came out well for the start of the second half. Should have scored again through Stuart Armstrong's header and Travers made a decent save when uh, Suleimana went past uh, Hoover again. Uh, that was the incident where Wilmot crashed into the post. Um, hope he's okay, because that looked quite nasty. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, committed defending, and uh, that was right up there. So I uh, hope he's okay, and uh, uh, hopefully he's fit for the weekend. Uh, and if not, hopefully he only misses, uh, misses one game. Um... I know you're going to want to talk about the penalty shouts. Um, the first one, in my view, is never a penalty in a million years. Um, and um, I was watching on the telly um, and it was embarrassing that they were making such a big deal of it, I thought. Um, the second one, of course, um, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of rugby over the last couple of weeks um, and Bednarek kept himself uh, nice and low and uh, tried to wrap his arms nicely. So it's, um, yeah, the bunker review system wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be intervening on that one. But, uh, but obviously, um, this is not rugby. And I've seen a couple of very deluded Saints fans trying to say that it, it wasn't a penalty, but, you know, own it. Uh, give it a rest lads uh, it's 100% a penalty and I don't know what the referee's doing there um, regardless of where the ball is and you know the fact that the player in question I think it was Ryan Lowe wasn't going to get to the ball it's still a penalty um, and I would have been spitting feathers if that had been up the other end and we hadn't been given it so uh, every sympathy on that one um, after that I never really felt that Stoke were going to score um, didn't really put us under enough pressure or have the quality to um, to break us down um, Alex Neal took off I thought your best attacking player um, the guy playing at number 10 whose name escapes me sorry about that um, took him off and replaced him with Wesley and um, started launching the ball and We've got two central defenders who are perfectly adept at dealing with that in um, in Bednarek and Harwood Bellis. So, uh, so that was decent. 
from our point of view. From our point of view, the handbags that happened at the end of the game and near the end of the game was an interesting test because we as a team have been too nice over the last three years, which is one of the reasons we got relegated, along with um, just generally being crap. So it was nice to come to Stoke and have that test against a fairly physical team and uh, not take a backward step when it got a bit fractious. Game overall, pretty low on quality, um, but I felt it was a, it was a decent uh, championship game. Uh, very good test as, for us. Um, as far as I'm concerned uh, and any three points is a good three points and we had to show different qualities to what we showed against Leeds at the weekend in order to get the results um, let's say good luck to Stoke for the rest of the season hopefully your manager can develop a game plan that gets the most out of the decent players that you've got um, because you do have a few um, I know the results haven't been brilliant recently apart from the Bristol City game but uh, there's a they look to me like a decent team in there if it's um, if it's moulded the right way, um, which should see you pushing towards the top half of the table. I would have thought, as I said, good luck for the rest of the season. So the under 18s they uh, they lost two one away at Blackburn last week. Um, so yeah, another unfortunately another defeat in the league for them. Uh, this week they're actually at home. They're at Clayton Wood Saturday, 11 a.m. kickoff, and they're going to be playing Newcastle United. Uh, after five games, we've only got three points in the league and we sit 12th out of 13, just forest below us in the standings. Uh, the under-21s, they lost away at Middlesbrough 4-1 last Friday. Uh, Dora McGuinness scored our goal, but nothing more than really a consolation. Uh, the next game, there isn't until Monday the 30th of October, so a bit of a break now. So the the mega league that we've got with the under twenty ones, twenty six teams in it, and we are now twenty fifth after six games with just the three points gained. Uh, so only Derby are below us in that table. I think what's happening at the minute is so many of the uh, the young lads are either out on loan or with the first team. You think like you know you've got Low, Tescal, Sidibe, um and then obviously you were all those all the centre halves really. <laughs> That's why we're so short on the first team. Then there's like four four centre halves and they're out on loan. Um so yeah, I think what's happening is that there's a lot of sort of under sixteens playing the under eighteens or at least first year scholars. And then a lot of the lads who you'd usually be in the under eighteens are now playing under twenty ones. So results wise we're not sort of showing a lot, but I believe that you've probably got players who may be playing against older players than they, than they sh- maybe should be. And in time, that may work out uh, beneficiaries, uh, bene- beneficial to them in their developments. The women. Now, they went to Halifax last Sunday uh, in the National League Cup, second round, and lost 2-0. So a couple of early goals, in, you know, including a penalty, and that seemed to cost us. Um, we had lots of possession and chances in the second half, but no way back in. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, but this week we travelled back to Halifax for another game against them away, but this one's in the league. Uh, the women are seventh in their league. Out of the league of 12 sides sits at seventh after six games with seven points. Uh, same amount of points as Halifax, but they have only played three matches. So, yeah, it's going to be a tough one. Seems they've had a bit of an undefeated start so far, Halifax. But let's hope that, uh, yeah, having had a bit of a look at them last week, that we can go and go and get three points. Now, Loney review. So, I've got a bit of audio for you today. 
Uh, I'll be honest, it, it's not the greatest review, but let's see how Tom Edwards is getting on at Huddersfield Town. Hi Stoke fans, this is Matt from the Andy Takes That Chance podcast and we cover all things Huddersfield Town. Uh, Dan has asked me how Tom Edwards has been getting on with us this season, so uh, let's look at the positive side. He seems a good lad, he's quite competent with the ball at his feet, but I think that's where it ends really. On the other side, he's about as slow as a Yorkshireman to get his wallet out and he seems very, very unfit. Uh, He started the season for us at right back in the first game, he was turned inside out in the first 10 minutes when Plymouth scored and uh, was partly culpable for the second in not tracking back into position as well. Uh, Not all his fault by any means, but contributing factors nonetheless. Uh, The second game against Leicester, he was pretty good until the last 10 minutes when uh, Mavadidi ran at him uh, and he couldn't get anywhere near him, bless him, and uh, Mavadidi scored and we lost. Uh, Similar at Middlesbrough, he struggled if isolated one-on-one with an attacker, but on the ball, again, pretty good. He hit a couple of important diagonals uh, and we drew that game. Uh, in his last start on the 26th of August, he got an absolute runaround for 90 minutes by Jonathan Rowe of Norwich and we lost 4-0. And that was the last time we saw him under Neil Warnock, who decided he'd seen enough after three defeats and a draw. Uh, with Edwards out of the side, we then won two and drew three and unbeaten in five games and we're looking quite good. Um, although we were pretty poor against Stoke. And then last night, Edwards returned off of the bench, looking a little larger than previous, uh, and again, very unfit. Um, Not that he did much wrong in his half an hour of football, but that's four defeats in the five games that he's taken part in now. Uh, And I don't think he really fits with the system Darren Moore wants to play because essentially he'd have to run up and down the flank all day. So I think barring a miraculous upturn in form, he'll be coming back to Stoke if there's a break clause in January. Uh, Technically, he's quite a good player and he seems a good character, like I said, but he's just nowhere near fit enough or quick enough to play at this level of football. And that's the brutal truth. All the best, guys. I'll chat to you again soon. Cheers, Matt. Um... Yeah, that not great, Mike. Not great at all. That that review. Pretty scathing. Um, when we thought about Tom Edwards coming back, we really thought it was going to be a good opportunity for him, didn't we? As to to stake a claim and all that, but obviously, very quickly, someone's realised he's probably not up to it. Uh, he didn't have a great preseason, hence obviously him being shipped out. But uh, yeah, overweight and all that business that was mentioned. Um, yeah, safe to say, I don't think he's coming back. I think his stoke days are done, aren't they, Larry? Yeah, I think so. I've got in my notes, fitness question mark. I mean, 10 matches he played last season for Barnsley and a handful, I think, for uh, the Red Bull as well. But but certainly his, his pre-season's been hampered uh, fitness-wise. I'm looking... I use uh, Flash Score for everything now. I don't know uh, about you guys, but it, it, I find it really helpful. But I'm looking at his performances this this season in terms of the time on the pitch: 90, 90 minutes loss, ninety minutes draw, ninety minutes four nil loss. When he's not in the squad, they've won two on the trot, um, and he's he's not really featured when they've been winning, and and that's that's probably the biggest concern. And then when they're taking their heaviest defeats, he's playing a whole game. So that's that's kind of the 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 big picture. Yeah, it seems that I think actually there's concerns there and then from Matt about his fitness and 
he maybe some weight some weight issues and then he sort of messaged me this morning and said I don't understand how he's putting weight on during the season I'm like I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but he does. He, he, I mean, we commented at the start, didn't we, when we saw him in Notts County that he, he looked a little bit big, shall we say, Mike, for returning for, for that first friendly? Yeah, we, we were trying to figure out, weren't we, whether he looked muscly or whether he looked fat. We weren't quite sure. <laughs> um, and it wasn't trying to be hard. I mean, I, Christ, I, I liked Tom when, when I watched him here before you know he looked like a player who okay vulnerable from balls at the back post and all that you thought you know he'd gone out to america he'd done really well in america apparently there's a lot of people who loved him out there you know we were really light in that fullback position you know you thought you know come back here and prove yourself um we saw him against Notts county and yes he was playing with a bunch of under 21s but he looked like he was under 21 it looked like he didn't know where to go and what to do um, which was a real shame because that was his chance then. New manager, come back for the first time, be seen. Yeah, it's it's a shame. A guy, I mean, how many players have potential but fail to to you know to see it? Uh, maybe his time in the UK might be done now. Maybe it's time to go back to America and forge himself a, a new career somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, well, the thing is, well, I think just to just to highlight. Uh, when people maybe look at pictures, whatever of him, when we say fat, we are talking like football fat. We're not talking like oh god, yeah, fat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If people may like you know, say, say to you know, how, how can football fans call players fat when look at them? Well, we're sort of in different levels, aren't we? We're judging them as compared to other footballers. <laughs> he maybe looks a bit, a bit uh, rotund, shall we say? Yeah, um, that's probably a horrible word to use. Let's 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 say chunky. Moving on, other news. Uh, we've got some internationals coming up, so I reckon by my looking at that, Jordan Thompson, Mark Travers, Medi Larice, uh, Johnson, Yadic, Sadibi, Simkin. Uh, will all be called up for internationals. So how many of them are going to get injured? Plus, maybe even Keanu Hoover, if he's fit. And also, it'd be an interesting one to see if Haksabanovic gets the call for Montenegro because uh, he's playing well for us, but obviously uh, didn't adhere himself to the manager, did he, in the last international uh, window? To be fair, I'm quite happy if he stays here. Well, whichever positions were lighting. Um... Oh, sorry, Laurie. No, no, no. I was just going to say, would it be quicker just to work out the ones that are going to come back fit rather than discuss the ones that are all going to get injured? Probably. Uh, whichever positions we're light in. So we know, we know we're light in the defensive midfield space. So that's Jordan Thompson getting injured. Um, Haksabanovic is one of the main you know, sparks and creativity. So that's him getting crogged with a hamstring injury for the next six months. Um, yeah, we could just keep going, couldn't we? We know, we know oh. this is going to go. We've already had enough bad luck as it is. Oh, I've got one for you. So, obviously, Emre Tesgall has been in the England setup bunch for a couple of years. Uh, under seven, under sixteen, under seventeen, under eighteens. Uh, I think he's under nineteens. Is the highest one. Obviously, Nathan Lowe is now a Championship goal scoring forward. So he is going to get called up by England for the under nineteens. And then you know what happens then, don't you? Another one on the treatment table. Our treatment table must must get a lot of action, I tell you. 
Uh, one interesting thing, actually, uh, obviously Nikola Jojic uh, does get, obviously plays for the Serbian under-21 side. They are actually playing England at Nottingham Forest. Uh, so on Thursday, so next Thursday, England under-21s host Serbia under-21s, like I say, at the city ground in a Euro 2025 qualifier. So, uh, yeah, anyone anyone around the Nottingham area or nothing do Thursday night, you could go and see if you can scouting done on our new uh, Serbian signing. Yeah, we've not seen much of him yet, have we? But, um, again, he's, he's, he's one of them who I think was always going to be for the future. He, he was clearly not going to be one for now. Um, so, yeah. I mean, do you think maybe in January we might be looking to loan him out? I don't know if we can at a minute. He's, he's on the bench every week, isn't he? Well, I mean, yeah, we might obviously Maybe try and strengthen in, in, in January. But I'm th- I, I just, it's one of them, I, I guess it depends. If we get a, another couple of players, which no doubt we will in Jan, it may be the case that there's just no place for him um, in, in that situation. Do you think, you know, I'm talking about players being back fit, you know, your Tyrese's and, and you know, the you know, the, the Mays and stuff like that. I think if all of them are fit, I think he's struggling to get on the bench. Could you could you see him maybe being similar to Valinden, where exciting young player, but we never really get to see too much of him, and then he kind of drifts out. I don't. Know. I think that's. I think it's a bit early to make that call so far. I think he's again. You get yeah. You've got all these young players coming from all over the world, teenagers as well. They're gonna. Uh, we've sort of been banging the drum, haven't we, and like a broken record. <laughs> kind of need patience and time. And I think all players are going to settle in at different rates. Uh, they're going to be ready at different times. They've all got different levels of experience. I mean, you've got Junior there. I mean, he's 19 years old, same as George. But George, I don't think, has played over 100 games yet in his career, like Junior has. So... They're at different levels, aren't they? Of being ready for the first team, and also, let's be honest, we signed that many players for those attacking positions that that there are going to be. You know, they might not all come off. Well, they're not all going to come off. Let's be honest. We've got to prepare ourselves and just you know accept that, haven't we? That there are going to be a few duds when you sign seventeen new players. Um, like I say, maybe he will be one, or in time, maybe he will come good. Yeah, there's a queue, isn't there? Particularly in those those sort of wing forward areas, uh, a big queue uh, of players waiting. Cool. Um, anything else you want to bring up, Dan, before we uh, move on to Leicester? Yes. Yeah, so the there's a new TV deal coming for the Premier League. Um, they've agreed, or they've, they're in talking with the EFL about merging the overseas rights so that they sell, the EFL and the Premier League sell the overseas parts of the rights as one together. Now, the EFL's new TV deal is five years. It was announced in May, £935 million, uh, which I think is about double what it previously was. It's a five-year deal with Sky Sports. It uh, starts uh, next season, 2024, runs to the end of 2028-29. We'll see a 1,000 games a season from the EFL on Sky. So massive uh, exposure and uh, broadcasting compared to what it used to be, uh, what the current deal is. 
Um, so, what they're saying now, though, is that this next Premier League deal won't be with the EFL. So, they've got a four-year deal coming up with them that will then run until the end of the EFL's current TV deal. So, then, what will happen is the one that starts then in 2028-29, sorry, 2029, um, then from then onwards, we will be merged, or at least the overseas part will be merged with the Premier League. What they're saying is they will give the EFL 14.7% of the total overseas deal, plus £130 million extra per season, and include an £88 million bonus this season as well as part of the deal. Now, the current Premier League overseas deal, so just the selling the rights overseas, not what they do with Sky and and, and Amazon and, and TNT in this country, the overseas rights is £5 billion for three years. Now, that equates, if you if they gave you 14% of that to the FL, that equates to £245 million per season, plus £130 million extra they're going to give. So that's £375 million a year to the FL to split between its 72 clubs. Now, that's a lot of money, but... Obviously, what does the Premier League want? Because the Premier League's not, not doing this out of the goodness of its heart, is it? <laughs> Giving away more money. So, what they're saying is that when clubs get relegated, they um, what the EFL is wanting um, to fall in line with UEFA, where 70% of your income can be spent on wages, a maximum. That's a new thing they want to bring in. So no club can spend more than 70% of their income on wages. Now, what the EFL is saying is that relegated clubs from the Premier League that drop into the EFL can spend 85% of their wages, of their income on wages. Now, they're saying this is vital because people are on big contracts that they can't, maybe can't shift straight away. I mean, we know all about that ourselves. <clears throat> so what the problem you've then got is the EFL's then got to decide what does it want to do? Does it want to, basically, if you allow these clubs extra, not only are they going to get extra revenue because parachute payments will still be a thing as well, on top of this as well, so clubs coming down from the Premier League are going to have parachute payments and they're going to be allowed to spend more of their income on wages than the rest of the, the clubs in the league who are not only are they spending less percentage, they've also got less coming in due to obviously not having parachute payments. So that's the other thing. There is also going to be uh, scrapping FA Cup replays. The League Cup will be one leg, not two. Uh, semi-finals, sorry, will be played on one leg, so no two-legged semi-finals. And um, all Premier League teams will get an under-21 side in the EFL trophy. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. 
Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. So that's what the Premier League wants in return. Um, I'd say these things won't come in until 2028, 2029 20, at the earliest. Any initial thoughts on any of that, Mike? Um, I think from... I mean, there's crosses a lot to digest there. I think one of the things that sticks in the mind was the whole White Cup situation. I think one thing that all the clubs seem to still keep moaning about is obviously the amount of games. And, you know, we're seeing this now with the amount of fixtures and obviously December's got seven games in there. Uh, so I think if there's if it's changing it from two legs to one, I think that's probably a positive thing. I don't think anyone sees the need for a two-legged situation if I'm honest with you I think it's a lot easier just to get you know straight to penalties or extra extra penalties whatever it'll be um, so I think that's good I think the whole 85% versus the rest I mean people will always complain because it's going to be unfair in, in a lot of people's eyes I mean it's one of them you're always going to look after the best interests of your own club so you're always going to moan about it but realistically it's probably right um, I think attendances that's going to be interesting I mean as a club we can probably say that if you can easily just turn on Sky Sports and you know click the red button and the vast majority of Stoke games are going to be on then you know naturally it's, if attendances are going to suffer in some capacity I guess Stoke is, is an actual club for getting the fan base and all that I suppose as long as they're getting the difference in the income, do they really care too much? You know, it depends on the club. Some some clubs won't care and they'll just want the money. I think we know important fans can be, uh, especially when they're on the right side. So there's there's pros and cons to all of this, I think. It depends which fence you're on for me. don't know what you think, Laurie. Yeah, swings and roundabouts. It's a lot of money split between all the teams. I think it's always nice to have football matches on and there'll be a lot more. There'll be the scope will be a lot more. However, um as soon as Dan went, as soon as you started talking about it, Dan, the first my first thought was um yeah, attendance is getting bums on seats. Um is it is it going to be something where the fans, yeah, just think, right, game's on now. I can I can press two buttons and and I'm locked into it or am I going to make the effort to be thinking about season tickets and match tickets for families at I don't know a hundred a hundred or so pounds for a day trip etc. So um, it's very good to have matches on on the telly of course, but um, is it is it going to be to the detriment of of attendances across domestically? My biggest concern. Yeah, I'll just say they are two separate things as well. So, so the the thousand games a season that's already been agreed. That's a domestic uh, deal that the FL struck with Sky. 
um, to do, like I say, the, the games in this, screen the games in this country starting next year. Um, and then what the proposals are with the Premier League would come in in years' time. There wouldn't be any sort of, um, or no sort of indication yet of any sort of change in, in games there. Um, it would just be that they would sell the whole rights package together. Um, and obviously that way then DFL would get, I could say, a certain percentage, a 14.7% cut. Uh, Rick Parry, who's obviously you know, in charge of the EFL, he said that the clubs will be faced in a horrible situation uh, where they have to decide whether they want to be sustainable or competitive. Obviously, if they spend enough to compete, then they maybe risk the future of the club with the spending. If if, if they don't go they don't go up or whatever. Um but obviously, then the other thing, if they just aim to be sustainable, then what you sort of start asking, what's the point in the club if you're never looking really, you know, giving yourself up to try and compete and promote yourself? It's, I'd it's, probably argue that it, with clubs like us, Dan, with owners with deep pockets, will probably be fine with that. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? For for a club like for clubs like us, where let's be honest, I mean, you do see criticism of the Coates family and everything else but I think one thing people could never really criticise them for is the amount of money they put into the club um, or at least you know Great. people who pe- people who um, sort of you know do a bit of research and look into it uh, once they see the figures surely you know you can never criticise them for that and I think when you're looking at this and you're making that decision do you want to give over this extra there's this amount of power or whatever or all these conditions to favour certain elements or certain clubs in, um, in certain situations in exchange for more money. A club like Stoke may turn around and say, well, we prefer the power because the money, we've already got the money. But like in, the, in, the, in the 72 clubs in the EFL, I reckon a very high percentage of them, I think you're probably talking 90% plus, would probably need, you know, that money's going to come in a lot handier than than the power. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, good points. Um, I I worry about um, potential pushbacks, but also what is what is the end sort of result of all this do do they keep on throwing money at it or is that going to be something that slows down after yeah i think you said it would be implemented in 2028 was that correct yeah so it will be part of not the um because the efl is sort of put the tender out if you like for its current well it's, it's next overseas deal which will run in line with the domestic rights deal we mentioned before uh, it'll yeah. be when that ends in 2028. That's when they will then be joining with the the Premier League from then onwards. Um, obviously, the 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 indication financially is that the deal with Sky, TNT, Amazon in this country, the growth on that may have slowed, and the the actual Premier League earns more money from overseas rights than it does domestic rights now. So 
the, the Premier League and the AFL will have separate domestic packages, but then, like I say, they'll combine themselves. And obviously then what they're thinking is broadcasters in all the countries, uh, when they're buying the Premier League rights, they're also getting all these thousand games in the AFL at the same time to, to, to screen. So the probably the package you know will become even more um and what this i think what the the common uh, theory and, and thought process is that the overseas rights the amount in that will just continue to grow and grow and grow at, at a, a massive rate and you know a, a much higher percentage growth on that than domestically in the future got yeah going to get a lot of armchair fans Dan. I feel. Yeah, I suppose that that's the other thing, and it? it is a lot of exposure. I mean, again, championship. Either way, in the championship. But if you think, you know, League One, League Two sides are going to get a load of, you know, games that, that fit in at certain um, times. You know, at, at three o'clock on a Saturday or whatever. If they are still playing there, but it's being streamed, that uh, you know, you've got games going on all over the world, and you, you you're going to pick supporters up, and you know, just. You know, if they visit the UK, they'll come and come through your doors then, won't they? Because you'll get that sort of experience where you see them at you see them at a lot of sort of Premier League clubs all over from all over the world, don't you? Like tourists and that tourist fans, as they call them. You know, when they're in the club shop spending hundreds of pounds and then going because it's the one time they'll go there. Well, you may just get some people who want to be a bit more quirky and maybe pick a lower league club just for the, the hell of it kind of thing and and do the same thing there, you know, going into Lake Orient or Oxford United or something. Also a thing of, I think of clubs like Wrexham and the financial backing that they've got as well. I, th- I wouldn't, yeah. Sorry to cut you off. I, I think yeah. Wrexham, yeah. I think that uh, what's happened there and uh, with the involvement you've got there from... Uh, from Ryan Reynolds and um, Rob McAhenney, I think, has massively maybe contributed to this move and people seeing that, oh, actually, you know, if there's a story behind, if there's something that gains people's interest, then EFL football and not even non-league football, National League level football, can be pretty huge, even outside of these shores. Sorry, you, you were saying, Larry... No, no, I, ju- I just thought the implications for, for teams like that with their financial backing, do they are they going to need all that extra money? Are they, they going to require it? Yeah, so I suppose for them, would that narrow the gap between themselves and the rest of the league if the rest of the league then have got more money? They'll get it, but if 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 they've got say I don't I, you know, for example I, don't get me wrong here if they can spend five million quid a year the rest of the league can spend half a million but then you give everyone gets two million quid you might have seven but everyone else has now got two and a half so they're a lot closer to you in terms of percentages etc than they were. And obviously, I'm not saying that Rex have spend that much money at all. They, I'm just picking random numbers out the air to make a point. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see. I think it'll be it, it's one like I say. There's both. There's going to be arguments for both sides in there. But for me, I think the money, especially as, as time goes on and everything, um, will definitely be the deciding factor for me. I think they'll 
a lot of clubs will gladly give up the power for the extra financial um, money. The issue with that is they've got to make that <laughs> you've seen you see in the Premier League with the TV deals where it happens, the money comes in and it goes straight back out into players' pockets. And I'll be honest, you know, um, people might not like this or agree with this. I have no issue with that because at the end of the day, the players the players are the ones who. They are the assets to the football club. They are the ones that you go and watch. And people say they pay too much. They they really they paid what they earned. If if you if you buy a striker whose goals can get you promoted and get your hundred million pound extra year, then of course he's going to be worth. He's he's if you pay him if you pay him uh, in this division thirty grand a week. And that's what one and a half million quid a year, and he gets you promoted, and you've earned hundred million pound. Is is it worth paying thirty grand a week for those goals? They've ultimately won your games. I'd say so. Uh, just rounded off the news section. Any other business? Mark Hughes has lost his job. Uh, there's a Bradford manager. So yes, hot off the press, he's uh, been sacked for by Bradford. Uh, Unfortunately, really. I mean, it was his first. He obviously left Stoke, didn't he? And he went Southampton and and kept them up at, at our expense, and then sort of you know, lost his job there. I think it was in the December of the next season, and had three or four, you know, about three seasons out, I believe. But yeah, nineteen months at Bradford, so he's had a good crack at it. That's not a bad, not bad run, is it? In League Two, interesting to see what's uh, on the cards for him now. I mean, maybe he's going to look at his career in terms of whether he wants to retire or whether he wants to carry on. I mean, I suppose it depends on, on what deals are on offer. I mean, I'd probably argue that, you know, the division that he went into, it was very brave of him to do it. I mean, some would say that he, there wasn't any decent offers on the table, maybe, but uh, I'd say that's probably harder in that league. You know, when you've got less financial clout, you can't just call on some mates to get a, you know, a player from the Premier League on a loan as a championship club or whatever it is. So I'd probably say that he, he chose a really hard job there or took a really hard job at the very least. So, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we saw some of the best football that I'll ever see as a Stoke fan under Mark Hughes. Yes, it ended sourly, um, but I've got no Ill, Ill feelings towards the guy. Uh, so regardless of what he does, I mean, overall, I'd still look back at his football, you know, time at the, at the football club club as a positive one so um, shame how it's happened for him but you move on don't you yeah it's a good point good point uh, any Stoke fan will tell you that he gave us he gave us some great years and he brought in some great new faces to the, the club and developed the way that we were playing so whether you are team Pulis or, or team Mark Hughes I think you'll still You'll still be thankful for some of those moments that he gave us in in his reign. I mean, looking at in at Bradford, eighteenth in division currently, Stoke nineteenth, and and Hughes is losing his job. So looking at some of the results as well, there's there's some tight results, some unfortunate results that that came about. So yeah, maybe a bit of hard luck, perhaps in hindsight. Chairman of of Bradford would probably probably need to make make some different choices next time. It's it's too early to be sacking managers two months into the season, start of the third month. I don't I don't really get it myself. 
Especially when he got him into the playoffs last year, didn't it? <laughs> they lost I think, in the semi-finals of the playoffs. So, yeah, they've had, they've had a great start. And uh, like I say, unfortunately, he's paid the price for that. Uh, but yeah, like I say, I'd, I'd like to see him back in football. I think we, both of you just said that. You know, we had great times at Stoke. Uh, ended ended badly, but you know, not many managers do you know, walk out the front door at football clubs. You know, many are ushered out the back door, aren't they? Um, so yeah, good good luck, Sparky. Hope to see you back in football soon. Right now, let's move into Leicester City. So, on to Leicester City, away we go. And we have met a Leicester on 86 occasions, 28 Potters wins, 29 wins for the Foxes and 29 draws. At Leicester, there's been 43 meetings, 6 Stoke wins, 16 draws and a heavy 21 defeats. So, not the best record in Leicester for Stoke. Now, recently, we've had no wins in our last 7 meetings against Leicester since June uh, January so 2015 it's been four draws and three losses uh, and last four Leicester wins versus Stoke also since 2006 have all been to nil so yeah if we can get a goal that might be a good omen for us that we can get something uh, what isn't a good omen is that Alex Neal's record against Leicester is played to or lost to both them games coming in the 2015-16 season while he was at Norwich um, it won't be a surprise to say that Enzo Moresca, obviously the former Manchester City assistant, now in charge at Leicester, he's never managed against Stoke and he's never managed against Alex Neal, so there's nothing to go by with that one. Uh, Stoke's away record this season, well, it's played six, a won one, a drew one, a lost four. So the Bristol City victory on our last away game ended a run of nine away matches without a win. However, um, in the last ten away games, we have failed to score in seven of them, so still a bit of a bad run going on there. Leicester's home record. So, obviously, they uh, won in midweek against Preston, a very good 3 0 win. And that meant that five home games this season, four wins and one defeat. Um, Hull are the only team to take points off them in the league. They've had nine victories from 10 matches so far. Incredible start to the season. Uh, it's actually the best start to a championship season after 10 matches. Um, all four, so yes, the obviously I mentioned they beat Preston 3 0. All four home games before that have been settled by a single goal, so either 1 0 or 2 1. Um, so yeah, obviously the Preston hopefully is the anomaly and Stoke can stay in the game. Uh, Jamie Vardy, people think he's a bit of a threat for Stoke this uh, you know, this weekend. Well, he's played Stoke on nine occasions, he's just got the three victories and he's also scored three goals, as well as collecting his, a straight red card versus the Potters. Uh, he's also stayed Stoke are the team he's played the most without getting in a single assist. Uh, in the first half, Leicester have won four, drew five and lost one. Only Swansea with five and Ipswich with six have led more at half-time. Stoke's home record, uh, Stoke's uh, first half record, sorry, they've only been leading once all season. Three draws and losing at half-time on six occasions. Obviously, that one lead as well was Rotherham on the opening day of the season. Uh, so, yeah, that is the actual worst record in the division as well. That's pretty terrible. Uh, in the second half, Leicester have won eight second halves, drew two and a lost none, which is 26 points, a massive nine in front of second place Norwich in that table. Uh, where Stoke sit nicely mid-table, 13. 
18th, two, they've won the second half twice, lost the second half twice, and drew it on six occasions. Um, so, yeah, so I don't... It seems that, if anything, Leicester maybe sometimes take a little bit of time to get into their stride, but at the same time, they've got a pretty good first half record as well. <laughs> it's just the second half one's completely ridiculous. Uh, one shining light is that home advantage-wise, Leicester actually sat a worst in the league. Uh, so referee-wise, the referee is Jeff Eltringham. So this season he's ref seven matches, given out 30 yellows, one red and no penalties. There's been three home wins, two draws, two defeats, uh, two defeats, two away wins even, sorry. And in his career, he has ref 229 matches, 764 yellows, 35 reds, 57 penalties. 42% of matches been won by the home team and 33% away. Uh, I'll take them eggs. I'll take them odds. One in three. <laughs> if you give me 33% chance of Stoke winning. Um, Raffin Stoke, he's refed us on 14 occasions, given us 29 yellows, a massive three red cards in 14 games. Doesn't bode well. And uh, yet to give a penalty for or against us. Uh, the last two games he has refed us, though, was the 2 1 wins against West Brom in the Cup in August and also. So away at Bristol City last December. Um, so yeah, so we've got a couple of victories recently. Whilst he refing Leicester, this will be the first time he has ever refed the Foxes. On this day, there's not more, not a great deal on this day. I've consulted my little Stoke City on this day book. And uh, yes, so what I will say is that on 1889, on the way back from Wolverhampton, the train carrying the Stoke players was involved in an accident at Stafford Station and the injuries put Jack Eccles out of action for a whole month. So a pretty quiet day. Let's hope we can do something memorable on the 7th of October on this occasion. <laughs> um, before we get into the game, shall we have a listen to our friend at Leicester City and also the ever-reliable, the ever-present, the man, the myth, the legend, Graham McGarry. Hello there, once again, Potter's predictors. Well, it's certainly getting very difficult to try and select a correct result following Stoke City. It's a bit of an ordeal as well, if you're watching the games, of what's going to happen, what's going to turn up. Well, one thing that they will hope for this Saturday, when they go to the table topping at Leicester City side, is that they have a referee who does know how to referee, and it's fair to both sides. Stoke, of course, beaten 1-0, in midweek, deserved to get something out of the game, but didn't. That about sums up Stoke's season so far. But you never know. Stoke have got players that should thrive on the atmosphere and should be relishing having a go at the league leaders. Somewhere along the line, Stoke's season really has got a start, hasn't it? Perhaps it'll start this Saturday afternoon. Leicester 1, Stoke 1. How do you, mate? This is uh, Chris from Leicester Till I Die TV. Uh, sorry, this is late. Okay. Well, uh, what can I say about this weekend's match? Uh, if we win this, I think we've created a new record for any championship team uh, ever starting a season uh, in the second tier, um, which probably means you'll, you'll go and beat us. I mean, on paper... We should win, uh, but look, this is football, and we're Leicester City. We're the kings at shooting ourselves in the foot. But you know what a start we've had. Uh, getting relegated was probably the 
best thing that, that could have happened to us because um, we got rid of a lot of players that um, we didn't need anymore, uh, that were on expensive contracts that we could let go, that we'd have probably kept had we stayed up. Um, uh, yes, we sold um, two players for 40 million between them in Madison and Barnes. They didn't necessarily want to go, but. <laughs> they, we had to we had to sell them because uh, we needed the money basically because um, we had got uh, we'd, 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 we'd not done quite what Leeds did a few seasons ago we chased the dream and we didn't quite make it but we've now had to cut our cloth accordingly uh, but I mean look 10 games 9 wins 1 loss um, biggest well, more goals scored, joint top with Ipswich, least goals conceded in the division, uh, most wins, equal least defeats, biggest goal difference, 27 points from the first 10 games. I mean, how good does it get? And all right, everybody's saying, well, look, you're Leicester and you, you've, you've, you've spent all this money, blah, blah, blah. We actually let... Twi- almost twice as many players go as we bought in and some of those we bought in actually are on loan a couple of them with options to buy but you've got to go back 12 months and this time last season we were we were getting beaten 6-2 by Spurs Arsenal were putting five past us so were Brighton uh, and you know what we we hadn't bought we we bought one player I think in the window because Fafana had decided to 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 throw Spitty's dummy out. So this time last season it was as bad as it gets. So this time last season it's as good as it gets. So excuse me if you know we sound happy, and yes we're being called the Manchester City of the Championship. Um, I think that's a bit unfair on the other teams because there's some good teams in this division it's a hard division to get out of um but look on form with first your 18th you've probably got to say that we would win uh, but it's football and you can never take anything for granted we thought that against all and they went and beat us 1-0 uh, you'll probably come to the KP I don't know Preston came the other well last night and they wanted to uh, defend and they put seven players behind the ball and we basically uh, wore them out with the passing and, and ended up winning 3-0 so that isn't going to work who to watch <laughs> whichever 11 players are wearing a blue shirt on the day because we've stopped being so reliant on like just Jamie Vardy or just Ian Acho. you know you've got Mavadidi you've got Fatawu uh, Indeedy like Twinkle Toes Indeedy he's, he's going to be on Strictly Come Dancing Saturday night so uh, look just, just keep a look out for all the players mate um I'd say I hope football's going to be the winner. I don't. I want us to be the winner. Uh, going Because last time, like I say, Hull, I think it was, we lost to just before a, uh international break. So hopefully we won't go into this international break uh, having lost to yourself. But uh, look, good luck for the rest of the season. I have nothing against Stoke. Um, and, and you're a fellow Midlands team, so I want you to do well. Um, just not on Saturday, OK? Uh, <laughs> chat probably for the return leg. All the best. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Cheers, Chris, and of course, cheers, Graham, for that. So, lads, what are we thinking? This is going to be a tough game, isn't it? Um, probably argue that this is going to be the hardest game of the season. Um, they are on form. They've practically won almost every single match. They've got an, a team full of class. Um, we, on the other hand, have a team full of 
Rock the players. Um, I'm not going to do predictions just yet, but oh, if you want to get some money on a bet this weekend, there, there's worse things to do than betting against Stoke this weekend, I tell you. Like, I don't know what the odds are, but they won't be bad enough. That's not worth a bet. So um, my money's going on it hammering, if I'm quite honest with you, Dan. I really wish I could say otherwise. You know me, I'm glass off full positive prediction uh, to my own detriment at times, but I cannot see beyond a comprehensive Leicester win. They're just good all over the pitch. And I think had we got a full strength team and let's face it, even got a defence to put out there, um, I would be a bit more confident and you know, maybe maybe we could snatch something, etc. Uh, and I hope, you know, when we listen to this back, I'm, I'm meeting my words on Monday. Um, but I just think it's everything stacked against us. The only saving grace that I can try and pluck now is that all the referees know that Stoke are due penalties. So I think what we should do is a tactic. Forget playing 4-3-3 four, 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 three, three and tactics like that. Let's just get in the box and throw ourselves to the ground. Maybe the referees are going to be fully aware of what's happened and maybe be a little bit more lenient for, for the deck. So that's my way. Let's try and forget playing pretty football. Let's just throw ourselves to the ground and get some penalties. That's how we're going to get through this. Yeah, no, no, look, we'll, we'll, they'll give us three penalties. They'll be like, yeah, that evens it out. So, so we lost 5-3, man. <laughs> yeah, but we, <laughs> yeah. Get, we give you three penalties, so it's all evened itself out now, them six that you should have had. <laughs> um, Laurie, what are you thinking? I mean, Premier League, they've got a Premier League squad, haven't they? Let me just reel off some names here that played against Preston. So uh, you've got Ricardo Pereira played right back. You've got Val Faze plays central half of Connor Cody. James Justin left back. You've got Keering Dewsbury Hall playing midfield. Harry Winks, Wilfred Ndidi. Uh, Jamie Vardy was up front. I mean, you've got Steffi Mavadidi, who he played more in the summer from Montpellier. He's played for Juventus and Arsenal. He, I mean, he's not exactly Vincent Pericard, who's played for Arsenal, Juventus, is it? Um, I mean, there's some of the substitutions they made. So, off went Jamie Vardy, on come Kalechi Ineacho. Off went James Justin, on come Hamza Chowdhury. <laughs> it's like, um, obviously, indeed he went off, Mark Albrighton, come on. Not, not exactly short in strength and depth, are they, if, as well as having good quality 11. The bench seems to be pretty frightening as well. This this squad should not be in this division, should it? Yeah, one one through to sixteen or seventeen, they they're absolutely fantastic. They got strength and depth. The players coming on the pitch as well from the bench are arguably as good as the ones already on the park. So, yeah, I mean we've got our work cut out on the weekend. At, I want to know how Hull beat them. I think it was 1-0 as well. I want to know how they beat them and kept a clean sheet. I think it was at Leicester. Um, that must have been a fantastic, full-blooded, committed performance. Stoke, uh, I think we've got to be resolute. We've got to we've got to have 10 men behind the ball pretty much at all times. We've got to... I, I think we've got to show... Some of the some of the passion that we we did last game. I mean, obviously we we were talking about a skill set and uh, an issue with the final ball, but 
certainly every single man uh, from one to eleven there needs to be needs to be on their game. Individual errors can't happen, and we've just got to block the middle of the park. You know, I looked at Dewsbury Hall's statistics this this season. I think already seven goal involvements in in ten games for. Four goals, three three assists from centre midfield is is absolutely ridiculous stats already. They'll probably they'll probably set up a four three three or a four two three one. Um, looking at our side already, it's depleted. So yeah, could be a long day. I don't think anyone's going to have a problem if we go and just put two two banks of four. Um, and have Nathan Lowe running around like a headless chicken up front. Um, I don't think anyone would complain. I don't think this game isn't about trying to be pretty and, as I said, you know, score score loads of goals. I think if if we were offered a nil nil now, I bet Alex Neer would snap his hands off. Well, it's interesting. I've seen that in the stats that I said before that you know the second half is yeah you know, they've not had a bad record in the first half, but the second half is where they sort of take games away from teams um, and obviously Preston was the first home game where they'd won by more than one goal and I think what I, I think a lot of teams are going there sitting deep and they, I don't think they, they aren't tearing teams apart really I think what's happening is they're having to work and they're being patient and they're sort of like wearing teams down and then striking you know when gaps appear. And it's funny you mentioned that whole game. I was thinking about Alex Neal's watched that match about 20 times, trying to work out a way through them. Um, in that game, Leicester had 22 shots at goal, 65% possession, 22 shots, only two of them were on target. So you could say that for Hull, that may have been just a lucky day where Leicester's shooting was way off. Um, if you remember, the goal was actually scored by Liam Delap. And I think he hit it from about 25 yards and it just went in. And he was, I think, like the only player in the half, the only whole player in the half. So they obviously sat deep. Um, of, them, of the other 20 shots that they had in that game, 13 were off target and seven were blocked. So you think as well, that's probably, you know, back to the wall, throw yourself in front of it, um, you know, take one for the team kind of, kind of performance. And... Yeah, I think they picked up. Yeah, they picked up six bookings as well that day. Holbert, so they obviously went there with the the aim of just sort of like spoiling the game, um, taking every opportunity they can to sort of you know take the sting out of it, slow it down. Um, you know, be happy to pick up bookings, whatever. They had two books in the first seven minutes, so they obviously started early with that, <laughs> um, and then. But yeah, but to be fair, they had the held on as well. I mean, to lap scoring after 15 minutes, so they held on a long time in that match, and I think that may be the way to go. But you can still you can play that way and still lose three 0 can't you, to this team? So again, with the injuries, I don't think anyone can really uh, you know be be um, critical you know, of, of what happens come Saturday. I mean, there are rumours that Rose comes back. Do do we think? I mean. It really picks itself for me. The the team does. Um, I think if we get a point from this, it could be the sort of the greatest result we get this season, considering everything that's going on. But uh, has anyone got any uh, any anyone want to throw a team at me? I mean, I did write one down. Um, 
did a big question mark on who's going to play by nine because I'm wondering about the ball sticking and we're going to need somebody to hold the ball up. But um, Henry at right, but I've got gone for a four-two-three-one. Henry at right back, um, Junior at left back. Um, considering whether Rose is fit or not, I'm going to say he is. And he plays centre half with McNally. Two holders, Pearson and Lawrence, or Pearson and Berger. You can fit whichever three you'd like in this, but Pearson, Berger, and Lawrence is that kind of middle three. I've got DJ on the left, Leris on the right, and I put Wesley, but I only put Wesley because I feel that we we're gonna need a big unit up there to to make sure that the ball sticks. I, I mean I could have easily just as put low as well. Um didn't do anything wrong on, on the game this week. But yeah, that's that's my thinking so far. But then then does Rose even even make the team. So well I don't think you you know, you've got a bad shout, if, if I'm honest with you, Laurie. So it's similar to mine. I believe Henry's injured, though. So if he's not out, then it's going to make things even more difficult. Uh, again, it's all a bit of question marks. But my, my team's not too dissimilar, I don't think. So I've gone with the premise that Rose is, is fit as well, or let's just, probably fit is the wrong word. Um, he can walk. So let's go with that. So um, I've actually gone for Rose and McNally at the back. Again, I don't think we've got any other choice. Um, if Rose isn't fit, I think we might be forced into uh, Berger uh, taking up a position that he, he's, he's done, I believe, in the past, unless he's decided to keep that a secret um, from Alex until after this Leicester game, so he doesn't have too many problems. But either way, let's go Rose and McNally in the middle. If Henry's out, Larice goes to right back uh, for me, and then Junior goes to the left. Uh, I, I mean, maybe you could switch them again the opposite way around, uh, but I think we've got very limited options. Otherwise, I do not want to see Thompson at left back. That would be a very long afternoon, I think. Uh, midfield, again, is almost picking itself. Uh, so Pearson, Johnson and Lorraine will no doubt start. Again, he's got no signs of dropping Josh anytime soon. And I think there was you know, there was no harm in what he did in the week, actually, for, for Josh. Um, and actually, on that point, uh, if you've got a problem with Josh Lorraine, don't copy him in on Twitter. That's taking it a step too far, but we can come back to that. Um, the front three, I'm with you on the whole Wesley thing. I agree. I think we need the ball to kind of stick up uh, at that end if whenever we get it out. I think as, as well as Nathan played, you know, he didn't do anything wrong. I don't think he's going to have that physicality and the experience to be able to you know, win cheap free kicks and stuff like that. So Wesley absolutely gets that position over Nathan um, for me. And then I'm going Juno on the left and Haxbanovic on the right. So, yeah, that's my uh, guess. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's all that is, but so maybe, isn't it? Is Rose fit? Is, uh, is Hoover, you know, Henry fit? Are we going to see a, a comeback of... Uh, yeah, of Vidigal or or anybody like that, I wouldn't expect. Yeah, I wouldn't. You know, to be honest, I wouldn't risk Andre until after the break anyway. 
Um, but it's like I say, it's all sports and maybes. And actually, I think we're struggling to, to fill the bench on Saturday. Uh, I've got obviously Travers in goal. Uh, I'm going with the premise that Junior, that uh, Henry's out, and I'm going similar to you, Mike. Junior McNally, Tom, Junior McNally, and then Thompson at left back. The other centre half, if he's fit, it's Rose. If he can't, if he is in the state that he just cannot play, then Berger is going to have to take up that position. Um, it's Pearson, Holding, Lorenz, and then obviously if uh, if Berger isn't playing centre back, I would play him in midfield. I think he maybe offers a little bit more physicality and energy uh, than DJ does. I don't think this is the maybe the best game for DJ. Um, but then what I do think, I do think Larice and Haksabanovic have actually shown quite a lot of, of effort, quite a lot of desire and, you know, quite a lot of energy. And I think them two are on the right and left for me. And then I've got Wesley down the middle. I think Wesley's very good outside the box. It sort of just falls apart when you get in there. But I don't actually think this is the game where we've got to worry too much about his work inside the penalty area, have we? It's what he does. <laughs> what he does uh, outside. Now, if that is the case, if there's no rows, then the bench uh, is actually looking a bit like, these are the only names I can find, to be honest. I don't Tell me if I've missed anyone. Uh, Nathan Lowe, Dwight Gale, Frank Fielding, Jack Bonham, Sol Sadibi, Nicola Jojic, Bayun Ho. And so that's seven. And then I'm going DeMarjo Wright-Phillips, because I can't think of anyone else, and that still leaves a space. So we've got no defenders there on the bench. So I'm thinking, I've looked down. Obviously, we've got uh, Tom Curl, who's the left back, who's got a pro contract, uh, got a, a contract there with the under 21s and that. He's an 18 year old. He, he could come in. Uh, we've got Grogan, who's been playing centre back for the under 21s. He could come in. Uh, other than that, I think we've got sort of Freddie Anderson, who obviously we signed from Arsenal this summer, who's Viv Anderson's son. Um, he's I think he's only 17 years old, been playing for the under-18s, and also has been starting now getting into the 21s Actually, despite their bad results, he's been you know, starting to catch people's eye. I think he's got a couple of goals as well, and people are quite impressed with him. Um Obviously, he may just be filling a space on the bench with absolutely no intention of putting him on the pitch unless we really, really have to. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think those three are possibly in contention just to uh, fill a spot on the bench come Saturday if, uh, if like I say, there's nobody returning from injury. Yeah, I don't think you've missed anyone there. Uh, I think if he's going to have any cover from the youth ranks, I think it will be at centre-back. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> As well, I, was, I was just looking at Josh Time and he's made one start for Swansea since he uh, since he joined them. He's come on as a sub in every other game bar one. Uh, but yeah, there was just the one game that he started, which was it was the South uh, the sorry, the um the derby they played against Cardiff, uh, where they played him on sort of like the left left sort of forward position. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's just it's funny, isn't it? How if he'd have stayed at Stoke, he'd have literally played ninety minutes. Twice or three times a week, every week since since he left. Yeah, it was always a puzzling decision. That was I. I don't really I don't see why we let him go with that edit placement already brought in. We needed at least two good first team replacements. But anyway, that's a different conversation, I suppose. Um, 
I mean, score predictions yeah, wise. I think, I, yeah, I think they had the reasons, didn't they? They had the reasons, they had the necessities too. And I think at the time, it was a deal that seemed to suit everybody, didn't it? Josh got a chance to get more game time somewhere else. And, and obviously, we thought that we were fine with Ender Stevens. <laughs> Little did we know, the, the uh, international case was coming just a couple of days later. Yes. That would have been the question. Sorry, Dan, go for it. No, that's great. You were always saying. No, no, I, I was just going to say like that. That was that was probably the biggest question mark of the the transfer window. Why why we let him go? I suppose probably the first question he would have asked the manager is, "Am I going to be starting for you either in a left wing back or a left back position?" The answer was obviously no, and he said, "Well, okay then, I'm off." I don't want to fill the bench anymore. So, you know, this is this is where he should be probably pushing for his next big contract if he's if he's going to be developing in in his game. So, yeah, he wanted minutes, but then, as you said, hindsight, um, very odd situation over at Swansea now. So, he's he's put himself now back into another predicament. Right, predictions for this game. I think it's going to be a very tough game. I think we will hold out. They've shown a lot of spirit in the last couple of weeks. Even though we've got 24 hours more rest and recovery than last day, having played on Tuesday compared to their Wednesday, I do think that you know, the, we've had two real tough games, you know, coming from 2-0 down at Bristol. And then, obviously, you know, we sort of, you know, you sort of how much effort and... And um, you know how shattered some of the players were at the final whistle on Tuesday. I think they'll run, they'll we'll hold out for an hour or so, and then a couple of later goals, they'll make some changes, bring us some fresh legs, and that'll be the difference. They'll win two 0 Um, well, mine was similar uh, until about the back off what you've just said. So I, I with you, I think we'll we'll sit deep uh, for the vast majority of the game. Uh, except I think when that first goal goes in, I think the floodgates will open. So I'm going for a, a Stoke City nil, Leicester City four. Yeah, difficult day at the office. I, I, I'm anticipating Stoke will work hard, defend valiantly for the first half. I, I'd probably suggest, um, and then fitness will prevail, or potentially the lack of our fitness as uh, we've had a tough week. Um, so it could be quite taxing. Uh, Stoke will lose the game three nil. I think the one guarantee you can have is that I think the the Stoke is travelling in in their absolute droves. Or was it three thousand, three and a half thousand, something like that? I think are going. Um, it's a real shame for them to not be going and having a good chance at seeing a full strength team or as close to a full-strength team. I mean, I'm not being funny, but I wouldn't be feeling very confident going to Leicester at the weekend, personally, if, uh, if that's what I was doing with Saturday. But absolute credit to them. No doubt they'll be singing. They'll probably be singing loud and proud anyway. Um, it's just, uh, let's, let's hope there's, I don't know, they, they have an off day. We have a good day. We pinch something from the game. Um, and, you know, that would be, that would be a huge point. Leicester, are always capable of having an off day. <laughs> we haven't seen one yet. As you would say, we hold. I mean, you funny you mentioned Hull earlier on, Laurie. Um, the the one time my dad had a both teams to score 
Cooper, which is we have one every week, but the one time he needed Leicester to score was against Hull. Um, and they cost him for about, I think it was about 1,400 quid. So them not scoring a goal that day at home really wasn't good. <laughs> as soon as Hull scored, maybe <laughs> dad thought it was in and it was like, okay, great. And then Leicester didn't score. So, And then, funny enough, the next game, they scored within 15 seconds of the restart for the new game. So he was a bit annoyed. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bloody difficult Nightmare. game. I, yeah, it's not, not, not ideal, is it? But... Um, I think we've all kind of predicting uh, losses there, and I, I think it'd be very bold to, to predict otherwise. I'm sure all the Leicester fans and most Stoke fans would probably agree with all of our sentiments, if I'm honest. The one thing I hope is that there isn't an overreaction by the fans. You know, if there is, if he says two, three, four nil, you know, I know that people don't just go overboard because you know it's not. There are you know, reasons for this. There are there reasons why we sort of we're all sitting here doom and gloom and <laughs> saying, you know, oh, we're not on no chance. We've got no, you know, no hope. You know, we're going to possibly the greatest team the championships ever seen on with a team that's got two defenders, uh, the best attacking players still out injured. Well, possibly you know the best two attacking players we've got if you want to look at Ryan May and that. Uh, out injured and like I say we've got two two fit defenders one of which is a 19 year old who's played one championship match we're depleted so I think the fans have got to be realistic as you said Mike they'll go there they'll sing their hearts out you'll hear Delilah all over the radio but um, it'll be when that when that first goal goes in um, when when during the game it goes in and hopefully there's a reaction and uh, it's a positive one, but it's heart versus head, isn't it? That's, that's the, that's the problem. It is. Right. Let's round this up then. So super six, my, this week I got six points, which dropped me one place to 14th overall. Uh, with 89 points I have for the season. Uh, you got nine points, which put you nine places higher in the league. You're up to 78 now, mate, with 71 points. Uh, so, yeah, you're you're coming for me. Um, so, overall, Nicholas Yates is top with 99. Ben Dawson, second on 97. Luke Higgins is third. He also has 97, but on the uh, tiebreaker that they do, he must be behind. Now, September... Nick Yates, who was top overall, he actually won for September as well. He got 64 points through September. Mick Brunt got 63. He's in second. And yours truly was third for September with 62 points. So, yes. Shout nice. praise. Thank you. It's okay. It's all right. So, I had a good month. Um, I'm hoping that I can pick it up after what was a not a great start to October, but there were some very dodgy results in midweek. <laughs> Newcastle's fourth actually knocked me, took me off. I had three one, <laughs> so it's, uh, that cost me a few points. Uh, Gaffer, so I am 39. I had 60 points this week. I put triple triple on, so all my three captains got tripled, and then. The one guy I didn't, who I was, I was different in R, he knew to give him to. I didn't give him to Joe Bellingham, and then he top scored, and the others, the three people I chose did, so nothing between them. 
Um, so that was a bit of a daft decision for myself. Uh, so, yeah, I have 499 points now overall. Uh, so the the top ones this week, sore loser, actually got 113 points this week alone. Uh, Stoke in Bay got 102, and then Bjorn's team got 100. The thing with Stoke in Bay was he got 102 points without using any boosts, which is a fantastic achievement. <laughs> uh, whereas the other two did use a boost, but yeah, Stoke in Bay is top overall with 792. At Jamie Gaffer has got 746 in second. Uh, and third is Anthony Hobbs with 718. So, yes, that will continue. Don't forget, anyone who's in the uh, Gaffer League, make sure you, like I say, check your teams, whatever. One more one more game week before the international break. And right. if you've got any snow players, take them out. <laughs> Indeed. I was literally <laughs> just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, so I have got a six times challenge for you. So it's now obviously Nathan Lowe last week went and scored his first goal for Stoke, didn't he? So he's come through the academy, he's been here since a young lad, and he scored his first goal last week. I want to know without Nathan Lowe, who were the previous six academy graduates who scored a league goal for Stoke? So, they, to count for this, they have to be under 18 when they join. I'll be honest, one of them is a bit of a red herring and a bit naughty. But <laughs> but it counts. So, um, oh, and is, is, this of all, <laughs> is this all time, Dan, or is this like in so the last the 10 six. years or something? So, uh, so it's the last six. I will give you the the, um, the time frame is that they've all happened since we've been relegated. Okay. Mm. I've got, I've written down four now. Uh, I will give you what, I'll give you uh, one life each. Uh, so you get two. I mean, is this like a tennis match? I'll, I'll put a name yeah. in and then Mike puts in it. Okay. Are uh, you ready, Mike? Um, yeah, go for it first, mate. I'll let you have first choice. Um, I'm going for Therese Campbell. Oh, damn it. So, Tyrese Campbell, yeah, he was 16 when he joined from Manchester City. And on the 19th of October 2019, he scored his first goal against Fulham at home, his first league goal. So, yeah, he is fifth on the list. So, there's been four, four since Tyrese Campbell's first goal. But yes, he is one. Well done. Damn it. That was going to be one of my only names that were coming to mind then as well. Um, it's him. Oh, oh um, Nathan Collins? Has he scored? Nathan Collins. Now, he yeah. joined at 15 years old from Cherry Orchard in Ireland. 24th of November 2020 scored his first league goal for Stoke in the home game against Norwich. Excellent. So yes, he is fourth on the list. So there's been three since him I played. <laughs> um, right. Dimaggio Wright Phillips. Oh, what are you doing? Mate, you're taking all my names. <laughs> Right, well, DeMarjo Wright Phillips 
was too old. He didn't join Stoke till he was 19 years old, so I was not oh. classed as an academy graduate. I didn't want him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you want to take back that he was on your list now. <laughs> Oof, okay. Um, A big cross I'm on that I think if he scored... Oh, oh, who... Oh, Jesus, the guy who's at Vale now. The bloody defender yes. he came on at the end yes. of the season. Um, oh, and he scored name. against Bournemouth. Yeah. Last game of the season. season. Couple of oh. seasons. Yes, you are correct. You are correct. Can you think of his yeah, name? Where his name is, can I have that? <laughs> can you think of his name? Can you think, can you help him out, Laurie? Uh, and I can see his face as well, me Rich. He's annoying me even more. Can we can we put that one on ice and then and then? You should can... give us that though. It's very obvious yeah. what we're talking about. You should give us that one, Dan. Are you talking X-Vale about Will Forrester? Yes, Will Forrester. Yeah. <laughs> so That's yes, exactly Will... who we're on about. He yeah. joined. A, he joined Stoke age six, and um, made his uh, scored his first Stoke City goal on the eighth of May, twenty twenty one, against Bournemouth away. Just as you give me everything but his name, I will allow you that one because I'm nice and generous on this game. So yes, you've got <laughs> one life, one life left. He's second on the list, by the way. So you're looking for the most recent, the most recent player to be in the Stoke Academy and score their first goal for Stoke. You're the third oh. on the list and sixth. So. Low, surely. It was low with the caveat of since you know not counting. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Really want to say this for the for the furthest one away, Tom Edwards. Tom Edwards is he is number six on the list. Yes, yeah. so he joined Stoke aged eleven, uh, and on the twenty second of April, twenty nineteen. He scored what is currently his only Stoke City goal again at home to Norwich. So, first and third, you're looking for. I'm really, see, I'm trying to think back to the younger players, but I, I, I think I'm going back too far. The likes of Chris Commons comes to mind. Um, I, I'm one, have of to go the, for... one of them may be involved on Saturday. Okay, I'll let Laurie maybe take that one or think about that one. I'm going to go for Connor Taylor. Connor Taylor, league goal. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I think like you said that, and I'm like, oh, I wonder if he did. No, he didn't. No, unfortunately, Connor Taylor, 15 Stoke appearances, no goals for Connor. He did most of his goals at Bristol. Then did he? They're the <laughs> ones that are sticking in my head. Okay. He did it three times for Bristol Rovers. Suter. Harry Suter, yes, he's third on the list. Um, joined age 17, so just snuck in, snuck in on our criteria. He's joined from Dundee United and on 6th of March 2021 scored his first goal in the league against Wickham at home. So just the most recent one now. But this is the red herring. So you said he could play at the weekend. Oh, no, I'm gone. So, no, that so wasn't. Oh, that was that the one was right. Okay. Oh, God. 
Um, I've I've got no other names for you, Chris Commons. Whatever. I've got I've got no other names. Any any guess you want to quickly send out, Laurie? It's not Chris Commons, but no, I'm think, struggling. Think outside now. the box. Yeah. I was going to say I'm a well goalkeeper, but the box, I don't think Begovic counts, does he? No, the answer is Phil Jagielka. Oh, really? Who was with the club until the age of 14. Oh, and, cool. and then came back and scored his first Stoke goal on the 8th of October 2022 against Sheffield United. He was actually, yeah, for for part of a time in the youth team. Ridiculous, yeah. wasn't it? Um, so those are the six, by the way. Obviously, that's 2019. Now... Did, did you know if we're looking for the next one? So if I'd have asked you for seven, do you know who the next person on the list would have been? Would have been Ryan Shotton in twenty. Oh, you might have gone for shots, yeah. August twenty eleven away at West Brom is the only Premier League goal scored by a Stoke Academy graduate. Um, but yes, that wraps everything up. Uh, thank you for joining us, gents, and thank you everybody for listening. Um, let's hope it's let's hope we are being ultra negative and by some miracle that we do uh, we get a positive result at the weekend. But if even if not, let's stay with the lads and uh, yes, we will uh, keep keep your eyes out and your podcast feeds open over the international break. I'm sure we will be we're not sure quite yet what we're going to be dropping, but we'll drop something in there. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.